Well, welcome back to the Palm View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the elite pastor here at Palm View Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon where the smoke has finally cleared this week and we can actually see the Cascade Mountains again and Smith Rock. Um, so yay, I can breathe again and I'm not coughing up a lung. That smoke sure hits me pretty badly, I guess. Uh, I guess my allergies are heightened when that smoke comes in. Anyway, so, hey, today um, we're continuing our our series in the uh, Gospel of Luke, and, and now we're back to our regular uh, services on Sunday mornings, uh, 8.30, 10.30, and 11.30. So um, we've uh, hit fall, and we are hit the ground running, and we're back to uh, just going through Luke a little bit at a time. Um, and so we are, uh, this is week 27. And today, uh, we're going to be in a few chapters of Luke, um, because they all kind of have to do with the same thing. But before we begin, I'm going to give you a list of items and uh, try to see if you can f- figure out which category they all fall under. Uh, the TV remote, cell phone, keys, socks, wallet, pens, and your password or username. Uh, those are the category that those all fall under is the things you lose more often than what you probably should. Now, there, there's a product out there called the Tile. It's been out for quite a while, I, I guess. People have strongly suggested that I get the Tile and I put it on everything that I could possibly put it on because apparently the Tile is an electronic device that keeps track of things so that you don't lose them. Yeah, I tend to be a guy that loses things. In fact, it's gotten so bad that I I have to uh, I have to count before I leave my house. Count uh, however many items I'm supposed to have that day. Uh, make sure I have my wallet, my keys, and 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 all of that kind of my phone and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I I just run off and leave it sometimes, and then I have no idea where it's at, and I I lose things. Also, on a Sunday morning, people want to give me things. They want to give me a, a check. They want to give me uh, an envelope. They want to give me a, a flyer. They want to give me a piece of information. And I always tell them, please put that in my box or give it to my wife, because essentially there's a black hole in my life on a Sunday morning. Uh, I have my my mind on so many other things that if you give me something, I will lose it. I will lose it. And, and that's bad. I know it's bad, but at least I know that's my thing, so I, I can take steps to prevent that from happening. So um, Now, there are certain things you can lose, and, and life will go on. You know, if, if I happen to lose a pen, okay, life will go on. But there are some things that, well, if I lose them, it's going to be difficult to continue on without them. Um, and apparently those are the things that I should be using the tile on, like my keys to my car or something like that. But then I start to wonder, is there a an item like a tile uh, for the items that uh, you lose that are intangible? Like, uh, can you put a tile on your confidence when you lose your confidence? When you lose your motivation, is there a way of putting a tile on that so that you can always find your motivation when you lose it? What if you lose hope? What if you lose heart? You know, times when we find it hard to go on. Times when we think that uh, God, 
will never be able to turn our situation into something good. Times when you just can't win for losing. Experiencing one defeat after another. Times where we're ready to throw in the towel. When we feel overwhelmed or discouraged. When we're lost. Boy, it would be nice to have a tile in those times, wouldn't it? And I know that we've all been there. And I know that uh, as I bring this message to people this weekend, I, I bet some people are there right now. You may be listening to this podcast and think, yeah, I'm there now. I want to speak specifically to us as believers in the Western world, especially in America, because so many people that I know, they look at our nation and they lose heart. It seems as though our faith is being trampled on more and more as time goes on. There are so many more people antagonistic towards our faith, towards the church. It feels like we're just on this dead-end street. But I also want to speak to us as individuals and families, because I know life isn't easy. This past week, there have been a couple of deaths uh, connected to people in our congregation, and they're heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking because they were unexpected, and in one case, the guy was still in his early 50s. Um, storms come our way that we never ask for. Troubles come along, they blindside us. Struggles threaten to suffocate what little hope we have. But for the believer, I want to I want to talk to us as believers because those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, the Bible for us is pretty clear. We are told that no matter what it feels like, God is greater. Greater is he that is in us, we are told, than he that is in the world. Jesus said, don't be surprised. He warned us that in this world we would have troubles. We would have trials. And then he said this. He says, but I want you to take heart. Take heart because I have overcome the world. See, we we tend to lose heart in this world. Jesus said, no, I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to take heart. By the way, that's not the only time Jesus will tell his disciples to take heart. That's what I wanted to really look at today, is the secret of not losing heart, but taking that heart. See, some of us need to hear today that God is still in control. And that no matter what it feels like, Jesus still offers a lasting hope. Again, so we're studying through the Gospel of Luke, and we're, we're looking at a couple passages today that closely relate to the idea of taking hope, finding hope, finding heart, those things that are easily lost in this world, but God intended for us to never lose. So I want to go to Luke chapter 18. Jesus has just told his disciples that life was going to get hairy. He brought up the Old Testament story about Lot's wife looking back on the destruction of the city of Sodom and losing her life by looking back. Uh, and, and Jesus paints a pretty bleak picture, one without earthly hope. And that's all in chapter 17 of, of Luke. But then Jesus gives us a secret to not losing heart during the troubled times. And here is when he says it again. Look at uh, 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not lose heart. Okay, not give up. What I love about this is that uh, complicated problems don't always require complicated solutions. If you are here today and you are losing heart, if you are lacking hope, if you are growing discouraged and want to give up, life 
might be unbearable. But Jesus has given his word. He says that he's always with you. And he wants us to remind us that prayer is the solution. Prayer is the secret to not losing heart. Now, that's not new, by the way. All through scripture, people of God leaned hard into God during times of trouble. All through the Old Testament, we see it. Uh, There's one example that I want to show us uh, in in the New Testament from the book of Acts, chapter 27. Uh, This is uh, the Apostle Paul, and he is being shipped off to Rome. Uh, He had been arrested for disturbing the peace uh, in in Israel. But as a Roman citizen, yes, he was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. uh, Paul appealed not to the authorities in Jerusalem, but he appealed to Rome. He appealed to Caesar himself, and Roman citizens got that privilege. If you wanted to be uh, put under trial and you say, I want to be heard by, uh, you know, tried under Caesar, you have that right to do so. So they put him on a boat and ship him off to Rome under heavy guard. Now, things start off fairly uneventfully on this boat ride to Rome, but pretty quickly things turn for the worse. The ship's crew find themselves blown off course by this wind that was unexpected. And before too long, they don't really have any real direction. They're they're at the mercy of the winds. Uh, they have lost days. Time has been lost. And the, 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 it's getting increasingly dangerous on this journey. Paul, he's a guy with discernment. He, he looks at the, the, the direction that things are headed, and he can tell it's going to be bad. Uh, he knew that the ship was in peril. I mean, the, the foundation that they are riding on, right, that they literally are riding on this thing, is is liable to break up. So Paul says, guys, we shouldn't go this direction, but they don't pay attention to him at all. Now, hopefully you can see where I'm going with this metaphor, especially for those who are in a predicament right now where it feels like whatever it is you're riding on, it's going to break up and you can see that this is not going well and nobody's really helping you, that they're, they're not listening to you. And it seems like it's just getting worse and worse. So Paul realizes it's going to be disastrous if they keep going the same direction. So he warns them we shouldn't be going this way. But the guy in charge, the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, um, he actually was listening to the, the, uh, the owner of the ship. Now, what what does that matter? Well, um, instead of listening to somebody who has a connection with God, the guy in charge, the centurion, rather than listen to Paul, he would rather listen to the the so-called experts. But only to find that that expert, the, the, the pilot and the owner of the ship, they are really only concerned about their business. They don't really care about who's on board. They are more worried about their cargo and getting paid for delivering their cargo. They needed to get paid, so they really don't care about the storm. They need to get through the storm and and over to Rome quickly so that they could get paid. How often do we look around for help during the storms and listen to the so-called experts only to find out that they're really only concerned about their own business? Hmm. Uh, that's a common mistake that leads to a world of trouble. So these guys that are following the, the people that are really after their own um, business, their, their own profit, these guys don't see it coming. 
though Paul does. And, and when it's too late, they are now out of control and there's nothing that they can do. They've ended up in a place that they don't recognize. Uh, and it's a place that they never even imagined that they would end up in. And it gets so bad that in verse 20, it says that they gave up all hope of being saved. They lost heart. For some of you, that sounds familiar because that's where you are. But in the midst of this storm where people are losing heart, there's a man who does not panic, who did not lose heart, who does not lose hope. And in Acts chapter 27, just a, a few verses I want to read to you, starting in verse 22, it says, this is, these are Paul's words. He says, but now I urge you, keep up your courage. He's talking to the guys on the ship. He goes, uh, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, who, uh, sorry, last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. See, for Paul, the situation was such that prayer was not an option. Now, you can look at where we are in our nation today, in our world, and you should see very similar, that prayer is not an option anymore. I believe I'm speaking to people here today who are at a point of life or in their marriage or in their job or in their family where prayer is no longer an option. You, it's, it's a must. You can't choose or don't choose prayer. It's a must. The storm is raging. And by the way, believers, as believers, we're not immune to the storm that rages. Like Paul, we're on a ship with everybody else. And it may be because other people have made the wrong decisions, but we're on a ship that's headed in the wrong direction. Despite the warnings that the people of God have been passionately sounding and things are beginning to fall to pieces. So folks, it's not a time to panic. It's not a time to panic. It's a time for prayer. And not, not just prayer begging for help, but a prayer asking God to give us his input to show us what we should do and how we should respond. As Paul was bringing his petition to God, God sent a messenger, an angel, with a very clear message. Paul, you're not going to die. I'm not done with you because you must go to Rome. I have things for you to do that I have set up for you to do, and you're going to do them. See, that was God's message to Paul when Paul came to God in prayer. It wasn't just asking God for help. It was saying, God, uh, tell me about the situation. What, what am I supposed to be doing? And, and God enters into a conversation with Paul, that, that kind of prayer. Prayer, this constant, consistent, fervent prayer in times of need is the theme. But it's not just asking God to save us. It's Inviting God and his direction in our lives to say what needs to be done here. So with that in mind, with that idea of prayer, now we go to this parable that we read of in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus tells. Uh, we, we pick it up in verse 2 of Luke 18. It says, uh, Jesus said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. 
And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time the judge refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The woman has an issue. She's asked a certain judge for justice. Now, please understand this. The judge is not supposed to represent God. Okay. In verse 2, you see his character is is not godly. He does not fear God. He does not care about people. So he can't represent God. Okay, There's no way Jesus would have equated God with this judge, at least not in his character. But the point is that Jesus is trying to make is that if this rotten judge can finally bring about justice due to the persistence of the woman, how much more would a loving heavenly father answer the plea for justice? That, that's the same theme that we read of in back in Luke 11. If you go back a few pages in your Bible to the left, back to Luke 11, you'll see that Jesus is teaching about prayer, and it's the same kind of theme. It's, you know, we read the Lord's Prayer. It really should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. And this is what he says. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Okay, so there it is, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. And after that is given, he adds something, some amazing teaching about the attitude and the character, again, the character of the Father. Verse 5. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, uh, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, he will because of the man's boldness. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Here again is an example of somebody who grants a request, not necessarily based on um, uh, the, the fact that the, the person deserves it, uh, but the, the fact that um, that there was boldness in the request. The, the point again is that even if a sinful person would grant requests based on the boldness of the asker, how much more how much more would a perfect, loving, heavenly Father grant requests, especially when you are focusing in on needs of other people that you are trying to help uh, fill? Jesus continues in verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a famous passage that's often misunderstood because you know you have to ask is Jesus really 
is he really saying that all you have to do is ask for stuff and God the Father, like this great genie in the sky or some sort of cosmic Santa Claus will just go poof and grant your wish just like that? I'm sure that you can see the problem with that teaching. I'm sure that you've had requests that you've come to God with and, and God said no. He says no. And, and if he says no to your request, I, I bet you you have doubts about uh, this particular teaching of Jesus. I thought that all I had to do was ask and he was going to give it to me. But here's the deal. Jesus immediately clarifies what he's talking about in the very next verses. We, we, we forget to continue on and look at the context. Verse 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, so there we go. Reading this in one particular way shows that if you ask for good things, things like justice, like in the case of the woman with the judge, or um, asking for something that you can bless somebody else with, like the, the guy asking for bread in the middle of the night so that he could share it with his guests, God is such a good father that he will see the heart behind the request and bless you with those things. But you can also read this in a slightly different way, because as that same good father, if you ask for something bad, if you say, hey, can I have a snake? Can I have a scorpion? Something harmful. God's not going to bless you with that snake or that scorpion, because that's not going to be good. It's not going to be beneficial for you. It's not going to be beneficial for his kingdom. As a good father, sometimes God tells us no. Because we ask for things that are not good, not good for us, won't be helpful for our spiritual health and growth, and are not going to further his kingdom. One more thing. Uh, go to Luke chapter 12. And let me read to you real quick, verses 22 through 31. More on prayer, by the way. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Consider, consider the ravens. They don't reap, sow, yet they have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. See, God is a God who provides. When the storms of life hit, when we begin to lose hope, we must understand that we must pray. And that's the faith that Jesus said he wants to find when he comes back to the earth. Are we living in such a way that we're going to him, and then in our prayers we are willing to be utilized by him in faith to say, what do you need me to do? See, God loves to provide so that we will be thankful to him, number one, for the things he provides. Number two, we are willing to share with other people from the abundance that God gives 
And number three, he does that so that we begin to develop his mind and his heart so that we can invest the way that he would want us to invest so that we're building a kingdom that is much more eternal than their, than our own little kingdom. Church, let me tell you from experience that the best way to make sure you don't lose heart is by keeping your heart near God's heart. Continue to rely on him for provision and for deliverance. And then continue to watch. Watch how he directs you to be his agents of redemption in the lives of other people. When people come to me distressed, despondent, discouraged, depressed, I ask them, where are you serving right now? They say, I'm not. I go, well, let's start. Let's start by serving other people, getting outside of ourselves and asking God where he wants to use us. Other than just going to God and asking for stuff, can you please do this for me? Can you please give me this? That we're there saying, God, we need you, but what do you want us to do? What do you want us to be doing? And when they begin to listen to God and he directs them into a ministry, in 100% of the cases that I have encountered when I have challenged people on this, they have found that in their prayer life, as they are having this conversation with God, that God directs them to begin to bless other people. And in doing so, to share their life with other people, to share their talents, their skills, their passions, whatever, with other people, all of a sudden they start to come out of their storm they begin to get a different perspective, at least from that storm, whether that storm is still there or not. You see, Paul still had to go through the storm in Acts chapter 27. The boat still broke up, but he was saved. And he was saved because God still had things for Paul to do. See, when you're losing hope, can God use you? Would you allow God to use you as an agent of redemption to bless other people? You see, when you're losing heart, that's a human condition. It's not just you. So if you as a person of faith are losing heart amidst life's trouble, how much more do you think that those who do not know God, who do not have faith, must be struggling? You see, this world needs to see your willingness to, just like Paul, be in conversation with God during the storm to find confidence. To be like this lady who is persistent, say, God, I want justice. Or like, like this guy who says, I need bread to help feed my guests. There's a reliance on God as our righteous judge when things seem to be out of control. We, we, people need to see that we are content with what God has given to us and that we are willing to share with others, even when times are tight. See, if we do not show ourselves to this world as people of prayer, then when God does show up, when God does provide, it's too easy for us to forget. And it's too easy for those around us to not even notice that the victory came because of God and God alone. So when the Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesians church, he knew that many of them were concerned for his safety. And their faith was wavering because Paul was going through problems. And they thought, well, if Paul is going through problems, what will that mean for us? You know, how much more so are we going to have to go through problems? And so in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells them that they should not lose heart. Um, just like he does in Acts 27, he prays for them. He prays that they might be strengthened with power through God's abundant storehouse. He prays that they would know beyond any doubt, any shadow of any doubt, that Jesus was with them, living in them. And he prays that they would know that they had a Father in heaven who possesses an infinitely greater love than anyone else could ever know. 
And then he concludes that prayer with this benediction in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as I wrap up today, I want to point a few things out from that verse. Number one, God is able. When I am not, he is. The things that overwhelm me will never overwhelm him. He is able because he is not idle. So whatever you're facing, whatever storm you're going through, you don't have to lose heart because the God that you pray to is able. Number two, he's able to do immeasurably more. Now, have you ever created a new word? I have in my past. Uh, one time I was trying to talk about this uh, uh, bracelet that I had. No, uh, I shared one. Uh, I, I had one. My girlfriend had one. This was my senior year of high school. And in English, I was trying to say that I needed it. It was too big and I needed to make it smaller. So I said I need to get it reducted. And um, my English teacher kind of, it was like nails on a chalkboard for her. She goes, what? I said, reducted. She goes, that's not a word. I said, well, you know, like smallered. Oh, that was even worse. Paul actually here creates a new word. Um, the, the phrase immeasurably more, there's actually three parts to this word. It means infinitely above and beyond, beyond all human measurement, and to an ex inexpressible extent. And that's a mouthful. Infinitely above and beyond, beyond all human measurement, to an inexpressible extent. In other words, Paul is trying to say God's ability to do whatever is off the charts. It can't even be measured. Even in our imagination, we cannot imagine measuring it. And then he says God can do more than all we ask, which means that he hears us when we pray, and it's impossible to ask God for too much. In fact, I, I've come to believe that God loves when we make that big ask, the seemingly impossible. Remember what Gabriel told Mary, with God nothing is impossible. You think... God likes to show his kids from time to time that nothing is too big for him. You better believe it. But it's not just more than we can ask. It's also that he can do more than we can ask or imagine. Consider this. Whatever your dreams are, whatever your heart's desire is, God knows. God knows the things that I hold dear to my heart, those hopes and those desires that I, I, I don't even know how to verbalize. Whatever you ask or imagine, God's response is, Oh, yeah? Well, I can do more. And it's because, number five, according to his power at work in us. Not the power of positive thinking or the secret or anything like that. It's not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. Because it's his power that is limitless and eternal. Therefore, I do not ever need to lose heart. If I have faith in a God that can do immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine, then that power is going to help me from losing heart because I know that the power is still there. It's there. I don't have to start to worry and panic because I know the power is there. I serve a God whose power enables him to do so much more above and beyond anything I could ever ask or even imagine. Which then leads us to the conclusion, which basically is the circumstance that you might be going through very naturally in a natural world can lead you to lose heart. Some of you are there. Some of you lost heart a long time ago. Today, I want to remind you that Jesus offers hope and a solution. And it's all through prayer, a reconnection to your creator, 
a conversation with a heavenly father who cares, who loves, who has a plan, who can do whatever. You have a conversation with that, with that God. You have a conversation with that God being willing to listen to him and to obey him and to do what he wants you to do. Boy, and, and you rely on his power and his provision to help you accomplish that no matter what. That's the secret to not losing heart. Today, we want to give, I want to give you an opportunity to, you know, as we conclude this, to say, God, uh, I need you. I need you. Um, don't, don't go another day without giving God the chance to come in and be your strength, your rock, your refuge along uh, 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 amidst the storm. By giving your trust and faith to the Lord and then showing your faith by going to him in prayer and have a conversational prayer, you can be assured that you will not lose heart. Well, that's the message for today. Um, I know that a lot of people in my church need to hear that, and I'm trusting that God also is bringing that message to some of you that really need to hear that as well. Just a reminder, don't lose heart. Go to God in prayer and make yourself available. Anyways, uh, thank you, uh, Lisa Welly, for being our executive producer and uh, all of the other people who uh, help get the podcast up and running uh, with the technological stuff here at the church. And uh, thank you for tuning in each and every week. Uh, it's good to uh, know that there are people out there listening to God's Word. And if you're ever uh, in Central Oregon on a weekend, we'd love to have you swing by. All right, God bless you, and we will talk with you next week.